Hello once again and welcome to the Dutch Film Podcast. My name is Gregory Marcus. And ik ben Erik van Bemmelen. And I am not Dutch. And I am. And this is the movie where... This is the movie. No, this is the podcast. <laughs> it's a podcast about movies. Let's not get it twisted. Yeah, but it is called the Dutch Film Podcast. Uh-huh, yeah. Not the Dutch Movie Podcast. No, we might change it. It's the DFP, not the DMP. DFP sounds better. Yeah. DFP does abbreviate better. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the Dutch Film Podcast. This is the podcast where we shine a light and try to understand and explain to you, the audience, listener, what is happening in Dutch cinema? Mm-hmm. What is the deal with Dutch movies? Are they any good? Do they explain something about the Dutch culture? Do you learn something? Are they telling? Mm-hmm. Or are they just absolute pieces of oh. pseudo-intellectual <laughs> garbage? Oh my God. <laughs> are you talking about the movie of this week? I am maybe subtly hinting at the movie that we are going to talk about today, mm-hmm. which we will not say the name of yet. But uh, why don't you, you know, what's your ideal Dutch movie? I don't think I have an ideal Dutch movie. I think like a movie should be good regardless of what, uh, what country it was made in. Yeah, um, you must be disappointed quite, quite often if you think <laughs> if you're... <this. laughs> yeah, but I'm disappointed quite often in American movies and movies from all over the globe. That's true. I there mean, are some real stinkers out there. Man, I had a bad run like a month ago. Like oh, every movie I selected was was terrible. But there, there's there's been calm, some nice calm, ones. Calm out, calm uh, out. I want to be positive. I've seen some nice movies this week. This week, yeah, Licorice Pizza. Okay, Paul Thomas Anderson. PTA. We already talked about. It. I haven't seen a PTA movie since There Will Be Blood because in my mind, <laughs> it couldn't get any better than that. Okay, so why did you just stop watching movies altogether? Uh. His movies, you mean? No, in general. No, I still... Like, like, this is the pinnacle of movies. I'll stop right here. Why didn't I just stop? Yeah. Well, because I think some better stuff came out as well. And uh, I figured, you know... (laughs) Okay, so you still have some stuff left there. I mean, Phantom Thread. The Master. Yeah, I haven't seen it, you know? Good for you. Inherent Vice, like... Yeah. I, I think there was a funny scene in the trailer where he like gets a shoe thrown at his head or something. Well, can't recall that scene. But no, that's uh, all those movies. You should definitely check them out. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen a, a equivalent of Paul Thomas Anderson in the Netherlands yet. But maybe we'll get around to something that's like sort of similar. I think he has a very unique style. You yeah. were so, you were you were kind of waxing poetically about uh, how he's able to grasp you. Yeah, what, yeah, draw what, you in. What do you what are you saying? I think, um, and a part of that has to do with the camera work, um, especially in this new movie. There are a lot of shots where they follow the two lead actors running down the street. A tracking shot. Yeah. So they have a lot of tracking shots, but for some reason they f- don't feel like uh, you're in a in a chase. You just feel like you're running along with them. So I don't know if this has to do with how they bring it into focus or something about the the, the, the coloring or... It just for for me, it feels like Paul Thomas Anderson really just knows how to handle a camera and how to bring stuff to life and make it feel realistic. He, I haven't seen any of his movies since There Will Be Blood. Obviously, the famous tracking shot there when the um, oil mm-hmm. rig lights up in flames. But in Pre- which happens, be- by the way, in the previous movie we watched, episode two, Florida in America. Oh yes, we failed is, to mention that there, there's a. <laughs> 
Okay. There's another explosion of oil. If if you are just listening now to episode three, well, welcome. Welcome. Yeah. Go stop. Go back. Listen to one and two. Get yeah. to know us. Get to know a bit more about Dutch cinema, mm-hmm. and know that we aren't negative all the time. <laughs> Oh, we, we're not. The second episode, we were quite positive. Yes. Okay, but PTA, I haven't seen anything since There Will Be Blood, but I know exactly what you're saying because I saw all the music videos that he did for Haim, mm-hmm. and it's all tracking shots. Yeah. And yeah. The he, three women from Haim are all in the movie. Which is great. They're all playing sisters, just they're like they're in real life. Wonderful and band, I must their say. Their parents are in there. <laughs> parents are in there. Yeah, it's great. So it, it has a wholesome vibe. It's not... Like all the other Paul Thomas Anderson, move, Thomas Anderson movies, but I think you could argue that all of his movies differ from one to another. Well, I've only stylistically, yeah, you've only seen one. There will be yeah, blood. I mean, you were like, mind, "This is perfect. Like, Let's yeah, stop I got, here." I have like, okay, I have Punch Drunk Love. Like, yeah, I know Adam Sandler, Boogie Nights. Yeah, famous Ding Dong scene. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, talking about seeing a Ding Dong on yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good PTA one. PTA does his job. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. he is Dutch in that regard. He is Dutch uh-huh. in that regard. Yeah. Uh-huh. But okay, so you saw Licorice Pizza. You liked it. What else have yeah. you seen? What else did I see? Well, I, I think I see. I've seen a bunch of movies, but um, more or less, what I'm trying to say is that I don't. Referring to your first question, like what do I think uh, makes a good Dutch film? I don't there. Don't think there's one thing that could make a Dutch film. But I would say this. Obviously, being from the Netherlands. Um, there is some stuff that's like super typical for Holland and for Dutch culture. Racism. So no, <laughs> no, no, that's that's a global phenomenon. Sadly, Unfortunately, yeah. sadly. Um, so it's nice to see some of that reflected in culture, uh, and that can be in a book or in a TV series or in a movie. Um, so that, that's not necessarily why it makes it a good Dutch movie. It's just nice to see some stuff you you will see in your own life uh, reflected back in the culture you are consuming. There's a movie that we're going to watch further down the road. It's one of my favorite Dutch films, but I'm curious if this will be one that you see yourself represented in because it's about college kids trying to find their future set in Amsterdam around the time we're both in university. Okay. Yeah. Guy's bicycle breaks down. You know what movie I'm talking about? I think I'm motherfucker. Yeah. Uh-huh. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But in we are stage. not here today to talk about on motherfucker. We're not. No, nope. we are not here today to talk about PTA. Nope. If you want to listen to something about Paul Thomas Anderson, there's plenty of Dutch movie podcasts that don't talk about Dutch movies, but they'll talk about Paul PTA, Thomas Anderson for a long time. Of course. What are we here to talk about? Het Diner. This movie is directed by Menno Myers, uh-huh. written by Menno Myers as well. Well, he probably adapted the, the book, the novel for the screen. And the book is by Herman Koch from 2009. Yeah, and Herman Koch is one of the three guys from Iskafet. We have referenced Iskafet. In the previous podcast, in which, previous which podcast. you would have heard if yeah. you would have listened to it. And if you listened to Greg just now and went back at the moment yeah. he instructed you to. Wow. So it's all connected. It's all connected. It's all con- if you so. were here, you would see the red threads we have on the wall <laughs> that connect Yiskafet to it's the like entire a beautiful mind. cinema. It's, we're, we're basically Russell Crowe figuring it out. We are Russell Crowe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am Paul Bentley and you are Russell Crowe. Thank you. Thank He's you. great. Paul Bentley's great. 
Okay, well, you're great as well, so okay. good matches. Beautiful Mind, great movie, Ron Howard. Okay, again, not okay. here to talk about Ron Howard. <laughs> see, see how we, difficult we, we it is to, to cl- talk about Hetty We are here to clip the fuck okay. out of these microphones. So, for context, Herman Koch is, um, I guess, most well-known in the Netherlands as a comedic actor, um, screenwriter for the sketch show they had. Yiskafet in the 90s, or maybe part of the 80s, I'm not even sure. But before that, he was a writer, not a terribly successful writer. He wrote novels. Um, and this book, Het Diner, is, I think, his claim to fame in that regard as a, like a, a literary person. And the book has been translated into, I didn't look this up, but I don't know how many languages did really well in the Netherlands. The book did really well in the States, um, probably on some top year end lists a lot. Um, probably won some. What's the big Dutch writing award? Like the golden pen or something? Yeah, that's called the golden pen. The Libri. Libris. Yeah, uh, you have the Arco Libri. You have a bunch of them. Yeah. 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 Okay. So funny guy. Funny guy. Writes dramatic book. Yeah. With some dark humor. Dark, okay, dark humor. Yeah, we will talk a lot, I think, in this podcast about how a book will translate to a movie in general, but also in this specific case. You can do that. I haven't read the book. No, but you've seen the movie. And <laughs> Twice. Twice, In a yeah. row. Okay, yeah. That's how much you liked it. Hettine, Mano Myers, 2013. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about the American remake. We should note that there yeah. is one from 2017. It's got Richard, Richard Gere. Gere and Laura Linney, both wonderful actors. That movie, terrible reviews, widely panned. I don't even know who the director was. Doesn't matter. <laughs> don't waste your time. No. There's also an Italian version of the movie. There's a stage performance of yeah. it. We had a good joke about the Italian version where... <laughs> an Italian movie yeah. about a dinner that will not focus on the plot at all. It will just be about the olives. I I couldn't imagine like an it being like an Italian. Be like, okay, the so, food's okay, getting cold. Let, let's, before we get into the plot... Let's let me ask you this question. Do you think this movie is in any way typical Dutch? Yes. Okay, great. We'll get to this later. Yes. A thousand times yes. And it's okay. everything that I hate about <laughs> Amsterdam. I don't think that this movie is typically Dutch. I think it is typically Amsterdam. It is. I agree. And for everyone listening, Amsterdam is the capital of, of the Netherlands, Netherlands, not Copenhagen. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> now. Okay. Eric's confusing you on purpose here because obviously you've listened to the last episode. The capital of the Netherlands is Amsterdam, but the government is located in The Hague. Mm -hmm. Den Haag, Schravenhagen. That's where it is. It's very confusing, but... A bunch of countries have this. In in the Amsterdammer's mind... Mm -hmm. They're the center of the universe, not just of the Netherlands. And we should also note... Because they do take the pont, which does not make sense geographically in this movie. It does. Well, let's unpack that. Okay. But North Amsterdam, Amsterdam Nord, you should know, is not Amsterdam. That is not Amsterdam. <laughs> Amsterdam is <laughs> south of the eye. Come on, people. Let's, let's not get crazy here. <laughs> okay. So do you have an uh, American equivalent to this? Staten Island? Yeah, I, in New York? Yeah, I, I think... Uh, People from Staten Island, yeah, they're very proud of being from Staten Island. New Yorkers will say they're not. Staten Island is just a bunch That's of That's a cops. long ferry ride, by the way. It's a long ferry ride. Uh, 
Yeah, I guess Staten Island could be, or like San Francisco and Oakland, obviously being divided okay. by San Francisco Bay and the Golden Gate Bridge. But I don't get Amsterdam North vibes in Oakland. I would say no. <laughs> okay, so but but Staten Island and Amsterdam is kind of a good reference because in principle, Amsterdam Nord was a more blue collar, working class neighborhood for sure than the elite southern Amsterdam, mm-hmm. but not Amsterdam's out. Well. Not Amsterdam, Old South. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> Let's not get sidetracked by geography. Okay. We're here to talk about this movie. Het it's diner. called Het Diner. It. Let's jump right in. It sucks. Okay, This it sucks. is a big piece let's, of Let's trash. do what we always do. <laughs> let's let not, not just say it sucks. Let's do the plot. What are, what are we looking at? So I, You've seen it twice. Is you, it because you didn't understand it the first time? I watched it twice because I wanted to give it a fair shake. Okay. I wanted to know, did I actually not understand this movie because it makes no sense or because I wasn't paying attention? I had been drinking in the early evening. I came home. And by the time I started watching this movie, I was hungover. For the record, I watched this movie during breakfast. You watched And it's it called during- a dinner. So it's kind of funny. And... But you ask a question. I think this movie yeah. is a piece of trash. Mm-hmm. But your question of do I think it represents Amsterdam culture? 100%. And why is that? I think that'll come up. Okay. Um, where, do we st- where, where, where does the film start? In a opening scene of a restaurant in the morning preparing for the dinner. Mm-hmm. Night service. The, I'm trying to picture where this restaurant is. It's by the Double Tree and the floating Chinese restaurant near Central Station. This movie is from 2013, so it is quite recent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it opens there. And then I don't even know what comes next in this movie. I can't. I have watched it is twice. Is this a flashback? Is that a flashback? Does uh, it open with a flashback? Uh, well, definitely at the start of the, mu- the, the movie, they have this part where they say 18 months prior. Is there no other opening dialogue to the movie? You've watched it twice last night. Oh, How am I no, supposed it, cuts, to know? it cuts to like him making tea or something. Maybe they start with a monologue. By, okay, who is him? It's? It is, his name is Paul. And he is played by Jacob Derwig. Who I have seen before on screen, and I think he's great. He's one of my, uh, definitely one of my favorite Dutch actors, for I, sure. He is great in this movie. He's great on the stage as well, I should note. I've never, I've seen one play. Yeah, well, you should go see a play with Jacob Derwig in it. He's great. Fair enough. And it's not his fault. What? This movie makes no, like, chronologically, there's no, it it is a nightmare. I don't even know. But so I think it opens with the restaurant and then cuts to their beautiful home. Ridiculously big. I don't know how they can afford this. Do you know where that is? Um, so at one point you see them walking on a square and I know that square is close to the Wiebaudstraat. Again, that makes no sense. And even you're show, they're showing a shot of their home mm-hmm. and I can see a church tower. I don't know which one. I want to say Zouderkerk or something. Mm, yeah, might be. And But then at some point they have to take the pont from Nord to... No, they go out for dinner in Nord. No, they go out for dinner like right by Central Station. In Nord, though, right? This no, is funny. No, no, on our side. Oh, 
our, our site. Side, side. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, I live in Rotterdam. Eric now lives in Rotterdam. Um, I'm in the far south. Oh, my God. I can't even dive into this. Okay, focus. He's making tea for his wife. I think that's where we start. She's played by Tekla Reuten, who even the American audience might know. Who is in... She's played in... In Bruges. She plays the innkeeper. She is hilarious. She plays it so well. She's in Red Sparrow. She's in The American. She's in The American, which is a movie by a Dutch director. Wow. We should watch that one. Huh? Uh, Anton Corbijn. Yeah. Famous photographer. Photographer, yeah. music documentary, did a great film about Joy Division. True. Again, not a podcast about Anton Corbijn, but I'd rather talk about him <laughs> than this piece We'll of never get around shit. to the plot. They're going... To dinner. Yeah. And Paul and his wife, Claire, are meeting Paul's brother, um, Serge, and his wife, Babette. Yeah, played by Dan Schuurmans and Kim van Koten. Dan Schuurmans I know because he's in Alice's Liefde, which is my favorite Dutch movie. Wow. Yeah. Her, I don't know. Uh, she's a well-known actress as well. Um, she directed Alice's Liefde. Really? Yep. But yeah. she's so bad in this. Okay, she is the daughter of Kees van Koten, which next to Jiska Fett, which we've already mentioned, is uh, he's part of uh, Koten the Bee, which is a precursor to Jiska Fett from the, I guess, 60s, 70s. So this is four he's, heavy hitters. These are four yeah, he's big he's her father, names. but she's, yeah. And in real life, Jacob Derwig and Kim van Koten are man and wife. Yes, I read that. Yeah. So stacked cast, Menno Myers, let's, I, I don't even want to talk about the plot. Menno Myers, I looked him up, never heard of him. He wrote and got nominated Academy Award for the Steven Spielberg adaptation of A Color Purple mm -hmm. by Alice Walker. Yeah, Alice Walker. Or Alice, no, not Alice Cooper. That's a singer. Alice Walker. This is a great book about African-American in America, uh, post just post-slavery, I believe. Film's great, too. It's got Donald Glover. Or no, Danny Glover, not, not Donald. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oprah. I think Oprah's the lead in it. Winfrey. Yeah. Hmm. So that's already big. Worked with Spielberg. Yeah. Wrote the... So you would say, like, all the pieces are on the board and we're in for a great game. Yeah, he worked, wrote the story, didn't write the screenplay, wrote the story for uh, George Lucas, Indiana Jones, Last Crusade, my favorite of the three. Mm -hmm. He wrote The Siege, which is a bad movie, but it's got Annette Benning, it's got Bruce Willis, it's got <laughs> Denzel Washington, like, it's all right. Yeah. Yeah, so he's done some good stuff, I think it's going to be great in the book. Is supposed to be great. The book is good. So I've read the book. It's been a long time ago. Um, I've obviously just now watched the movie. The book has been probably 10 years ago, the last time I've read it. I think I've read it twice even. Um, and I think the, the, the movie follows the plot of the book quite closely. But for some reason, where the book succeeds, the movie fails. Because in a book... You can jump around in time. You just have a new chapter. You can have a flashback. Well, you're, and I think in, uh, in general, I believe this, uh, a lot of 
the the real storytelling in this movie is done with a voiceover which from, from Jacob Derrick and it does not work at all. I don't know if Menno Myers missed that part in film school where they say show don't tell. Yeah. And I think that Jacob Derrick mm-hmm. Derrick Jacob Derrick I when the camera is on him and the voiceover is playing it's his voice he's narrating the whole movie from the point of view of his character. The camera is on him and is explaining his emotions. And I think that his facial expressions already are explaining they his emotions. They do the emotions. work. Yeah. yeah. He He's is, a great actor. <laughs> he yeah. can carry this. And I think it would be... Because in theory, it's kind of a minimalist film. It's set in a restaurant. Yeah. So I think in the book, as far as I can remember, all you get is the evening in the restaurant. So here you have some flashbacks. Um, I think in the book, everything then, if it's happened in the past, they talk about it at the table or he thinks about it in his head. Of course, in a book, a voiceover works perfectly. That's how books are written. But to see it in a movie and to see them jump around, it gets messy. And also, to be quite frank, I know the story, of course, but watching the movie, it's quite hard to follow the plots. We can't even explain it. Right now, like we we are trying and failing for yeah. the past ten minutes. To... Okay, so let's so let's set the scene again. They are going out for dinner. It's two couples. There's two brothers, both with their wives sitting there. Um, it's a posh place. Uh, Jakob Derwig, his character, is making fun of how posh it is. Uh, he gets presented olives as a I think a, a muse or whatever as a snack, um, and he has to make some stupid joke about that. I mean, they're setting the scene that he's not comfortable in a place like this. He doesn't like this place. His brother, on the other hand, is a politician. Um, Running for prime minister. That's what I got as well. Minister Premier. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> prime minister. minister I mean, Premier. like, talk about this movie being unrealistic as <laughs> if someone was going to beat Rutte in 2013. Mm. This country was deep yeah. in Rutte. Yeah, he's, he's not a Rutte-like character because he's uh, left-wing. Yeah, okay, yeah. No, to start with. But, okay, so he's there. Um, when he enters with his wife, his wife has on big sunglasses, like she's Jackie Kennedy or whatever. She's crying, apparently. Um, so we know there's something up, and we don't know if it's like their couple, they've had a fight or whatever, or it's something bigger, Um you are soon you soon you get clues that something bigger is going on and they are there, the four of them, to talk about this and to how to solve it. But you get very little clues as to what really happened. I think the first thing you see is do you see the, the video from Offsporing Verzocht, which is a Dutch crime like real crime show? I, I don't even know where that fits in the, let's just just tell the people why we're at this dinner because we don't need to give breadcrumbs like Menno Myers is trying to do here. Why are these two okay. couples' parents yeah. meeting? They both have a son, and the politician, played by Dan Schuurmans and Kim van Kooten, they have an adopted son as well from Burkina Faso. Um, so they have two sons, and the three of them were involved in killing a homeless woman who was sleeping next to a ATM. Yeah? Yes. Okay, so... <laughs> that is correct. You could say the the rest of the movie um, and, and the book, I mean, the book, it works, works way better, is about uh, how they look upon this act and, 
and if they think the the children should be punished or if they should be helped um of course what comes into play is that this guy wants to be a politician and wants to be prime minister but contrary to what you might expect he's the one who wants to resign from being a politician and wants them to pay for what they've done there are you are supposed to like feel like this is a very tense dinner yeah. that these people's futures are at stake that these children's futures are at stake there which are, in real life would definitely be true and i mean it's a very movie, tense situation you if your child no someone. sympathy for anyone well i don't i didn't feel like anything was at stake Politi- no. like no. i'm supposed to be worried about this guy's political career no no you have no reason to be so you should watch the movie or or at least follow the story um, through the eyes of Jakob Derwig, his character. Who, as we've already said, is great in this. Yeah, so I think that's to uh, that's at least what's interesting in the book and also a bit interesting in the movie is that he thinks he's a um, like a guy not fitting into society. His brother is, of course, the, ov- the, the, the complete opposite, uh, presenting himself as a man of the people, uh, well-liked, popular, um, wants to be on the forefront. He is essentially sitting at home with which he thinks is not a burnout but i mean the the movie makes it seem like he has had a burnout because he said some stuff in his history class he used to be a teacher which is well not something you would want young children to hear uh, that's at least how they present it and that's why he's sitting at home um basically doing nothing that's what they say which again he's unemployed i don't know what she does but Apparently you make a lot of money. Yeah, because that <laughs> place is worth a yeah. lot of money. Yeah. And, you know, it's a podcast about the Netherlands, Amsterdam in this case. You got to talk about housing prices. Mm. Come on. It's like, I think I talk in about theory, it with every single, they, single, every single person I meet. Yeah, true, true. It's it's an actual crisis, yeah, for sure. But maybe they've bought a house in a earlier stage in their life maybe they bought it during the crisis maybe they got got lucky they bought it in 2009 you know or maybe in 1990 i mean they're they have a kid that's 18 years old so who knows so yeah doc jacob dervich that was great we're getting somewhere now but there's so much to unpack in just these scenes so jacob dervich yeah he's an outcast he feels like an outcast he obviously has some personality disorder you see a lot of flashbacks where he's really aggressive. He has a lot of rage. And he and that usually happens in the flashbacks when he's with his son. And his son is at that point, uh, I guess, six, maybe 12. Like They jump through. through they show a few instances where he is defensive. In his, in his, he is defending his son. Yeah, and he's also a, trying to defend himself as being a, a good parent. But he's acting like a maniac doing so. But he is a psycho. Yeah. And for some reason, Claire, his wife, mentions that she prefers that version of him more while they're at the dinner. Yeah. So I think that's one of the things in the movie that's played out the worst. That the the energy between man and wife and, and what they think of what their son did and how they're going to react to this. That did not feel logical at all, how they presented this. At first, you think Jacob Derwig, having seen the flashbacks, um, is a person who um, maybe well, not necessarily would approve of the murder that his son has committed, but at least thinks that it's something he should not be punished for. 
And he is, he tries his hardest when he's talking to his son. Like, finally, he finally confronts his son because there's this whole thing where he mistakenly takes his son's phone, but he's doing it kind of on purpose because he wants to see all the videos that they've made of because they filmed they filmed it that's a thing the murder of this so it was yeah they filmed it themselves um and this was on dutch national television the whole country is enraged um who would kill a homeless person yeah and a woman at that and it's really i think around that time maybe even earlier when the book was being written like these kind of like joy beatings that were happening especially in london i think yeah where like just groups of it was a cultural phenomenon for a while maybe it happened senseless violence from youth you know and these are kids from very well-to-do homes yeah you know they are privileged i would say and oh my god i am so frustrated with this goddamn movie (laughs) (laughs) spit it out it's okay they show up to the restaurant they're cycling in and I think Jacob says, like, oh, what's this place? And his wife says, oh, it's the Noma of the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Did they even look? Do they know anything about Noma? I mean, I have takes about upscale restaurants in Amsterdam because they are, for the most part, fucking terrible. <laughs> but Noma, I mean, I mean, Rene Recepi is an Albanian immigrant to Copenhagen whose mom, like, was a janitor at a hospital and like had a little food court like he really had to struggle and noma was a big fuck you to the culinary world and i'm like okay like that's cool i wish that existed in amsterdam and then they show up they show up and like noma's whole like everything comes from scandinavia as close as they can get it to copenhagen and they show they go into this restaurant it's super upscale super like elitist Mm -hmm. and then the first dish they get are olives from Greece and with olive oil from North Sardinia. Mm-hmm. That's give me some fucking olives from Flavoland or something, you know? Okay, but I think in real life you do have a lot of restaurants that would do that, what you're just describing. But isn't the point to focus on what the movie is trying to tell? Isn't the point that he thinks is bullshit? Jacob Derwick's character thinks is it is. I, and it is bullshit. I not with all the rage issues he has. I do not have anger issues. I'm just very angry at this movie, I should tell everyone. <laughs> this movie gave you anger issues. <laughs> but I completely relate with his point of view. I would never be such an asshole like he is to the poor waiter. Yeah. Like he's no, just trying to his do fault. his job, you know? No. And that's what his brother says at some point, right? If he starts heckling the waiter once again, his brother said, Don't take it out on the waiter. He cannot fight back. Yeah, it's not cool. True. Yeah, uh, but then his brother flips out at the b- person pouring him a glass of wine. But then he calms down very quickly and is like, "Oh, are you of voting age? Like, yeah, you vote for vote? me, yeah, and I'll, po- I'll forgive very you." Very politician like asshole. Yeah. But there is a great scene. I, we're going to jump around a lot because I don't. Just like the plot does, mm-hmm. this podcast may be as confusing to listen to <laughs> as this goddamn movie was to watch. <laughs> but it's when Jacob's outside and he's confronting his son. And his son says something along the lines of like, Dumar, no, Dumar normal. Mm-hmm. Like, not Dumar gewoon, but Dumar normal. Yeah. Which makes me like, like normal. calm to act normal. Yeah. Yeah. And then the only time that I like the voiceover, the narration is in his head, Jacob is saying, oh God, I hate that expression. <laughs> 
And I hate that realize. expression with a fiery passion. Because it's, it's basically like telling people, like, oh, you know, you're not being normal. It's like, yeah, hey, I'm, yeah, I'm having yeah. an emotional response. Yeah, yeah. It sort of forces people to always adhere to the most boring version of themselves. Which that expression or a version of that expression mm-hmm. does dominate Dutch vernacular. Yeah. Of doe maar gewoon, dan doe je al gek genoeg. Just be normal. Then you're crazy enough as it is. Yeah, yeah. We touched on that already. That's going to come up a lot because I think that this mundanity or this like just status quo is prevalent in uh, culture here in the Netherlands, mm-hmm. and I think it gets in the way of a lot of expression because, as we talked about in Florida in America, Dick Moss. Dick Moss is really trying to say like, look. These, Express yourself. These, yeah, yeah. These people are weirdos. Yeah. But they're good people. Yeah. You know? And they're, they're outcasts. <sighs> God damn it. <laughs> this movie is such a piece Okay, of I'll shit. help you out. Yeah, here we go. Out. Okay. Most of this, uh, the, the movie is not even an hour and a half, I think, right? It's like 82 minutes. 82 including minutes. Including credits. Including credits, true. So, okay. So it's quite a short movie, which in theory I would like. Like short and snappy, you get to tell your story, bam, hit spot, and you're gone. But for some reason, those 80 minutes feel quite long. Um, and that's, I think, totally because of the way the movie is structured. And they do not, as you've mentioned before, for some reason, they don't manage to keep your excitement at a like general level that's okay and to build it up at the moments where it needs to be every now and then i felt like here we go like yeah. now we're gonna get starting to, big, to pull me no, in like we're no. getting and then vern, no, no. it just and that, yeah and then they go to the toilet and have a little conversation or they just hang out at the bar or they go outside for a bit every time it gets interesting it's sort of they they, they stop having the conversation so okay but let's let's um Go back to what I think that the story is trying to tell. Like, how would you... That's, of course, what the movie or the story is trying to do. How would you act if you were in their position? If your child had has just murdered someone, has filmed it even, what would your reaction be? Okay, well, I do not have a child, mm-hmm. but it was a senseless act of violence, mm-hmm. which... Definitely, I think as a parent, and I think they all kind of feel this, is that they all get defensive because they know that it reflects on their poor parenting skills. Mm-hmm. Um, so and they're I, afraid for their children to and go what to jail the means for the future of their yeah. children. Yeah, there's this whole little scene about they, they anal, soft, anal rape anal in rape. prison, yeah, which is like lowbrow and doesn't really need to be in there and i, and, I mean the 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 way it is brought up is uh the jacob derwig character asking kim van koot who is not his wife in the movie asking do you like anal sex that's how that that scene starts it's just like a total non sequitur and like every time i want to like jacob uh, like he's not like a joni from florida like jacob is has, we, should, we should not use Jacob Derwin's name. This is this is not not nice to him. What, what's the character's name? I'll, st- I'll start switching to that. Paul. 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 Okay. His name is Paul. Paul. Fuck. Oh my god. <laughs> I I gotta say it because 
I am of the opinion that it is being subtly insinuated that Claire, the mother of one of the sons, Paul's wife, mm-hmm. it's played by Tecla Reuter, who is a great actress, mm-hmm. is having sex with her son. Yeah, yeah. It, Did it you is catch being, that a little bit? It is bit? being applied, especially the mo- uh, near the end of the movie, oh, basically the end. You see. Uh, Paul watching down in the the, the stair. Uh, the foyer, yeah. 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 Which, who has a foyer in Amsterdam? That's crazy. <laughs> but okay, he looks down and he sees them, and he uh, she takes off the shirt of his of her son who just came home, and he came home. We can basically spoil this now to uh, attack the adopted child from uh, his brother. So his he uncle. had gone out to beat up. Yeah. The person, I don't even know the person's real name. They just call him. They call him Faz. It's uh, based on that he's from Burkina Faso. Yeah, great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> but yeah, so she lifts up his shirt. Yeah. First she inspects his hand. Uh-huh. And, then she, and then she like puts her hand on his chest. Mm-hmm. His naked, young, yeah. hairless chest. Mm-hmm. And then they like look up at their father. And yeah. it is so, it's not even subtle. It's just like. Yeah. Claire being like, fuck you. I am having sex with our son. Well, she's at least very clearly taking his side. Um, and and I think it is also implied that she... I mean, she did not know about uh, this whole um, beating and subsequent murder of the, the homeless woman. Uh, because that just happened because they stumbled across her. Um, but she finds out at the same night... Um, her son tells her, doesn't tell the father, does tell the mother, and she helps him to basically get away with it. Right. And so the, basically Paul is under the assumption that she doesn't know, yeah. and Paul is under the assumption that he's holding all the cards because yeah. he's seen the videos, he's inspected it. Yeah. But in reality, she knows she's everything, cards, and yeah. she's kind of... And she's playing him, basically. But would you not expect watching the movie based solely on what the movie gives us? Why doesn't she trust Paul? Because he's also he's not saying he should go to jail. Why do where where are they not a team? Where is this tension coming from? And it doesn't any, feel logical. It, it doesn't make any like because he is defensive. He stands up for his son as well. And I think that I don't know. She is afraid that he's violent, or she thinks he's lazy. Like, and she likes the more violent side of him. I don't. Yeah. There's no, right you. You get no clues as to why there's tension in the relationship other than there's tension in the relationship. Yeah, yeah. And there's a scene... If they would just have a a moment where they would speak their hearts and tell each other what they think and what their goals are, I would feel like their goals are the same. They love their son. Yeah, and they don't want him to go to jail. And okay, what? And but, he's willing to pay off uh, the guy trying to blackmail him. He's again, willing. like money is no object. He's like, oh, uh, Faso. I hate to use that name, but that's what they call uh-huh. him. Is like, oh, he's he's uh, blackmailing us. Otherwise, he's going to put the videos online and yeah. expose our faces. Because there's one video where they actually show their faces. Yeah. We should mention. So and there are videos out there, seen by the general public, where you see. Uh, these guys murdering her, but you do not see their faces. Yeah. And Faso is blackmailing them because he wants to buy a Vespa scooter, which is already like, 
in and of itself is kind of hilarious because yeah. that's such a that's lame thing game. to that's like, I game. want a Vespa <laughs> scooter. And then the dad is like, how much does it cost? Paul asks, how much does it cost? And the son says, 3,000 euro. And Paul's like, I'll have it to you by the morning. Yeah. This guy doesn't have a job. No, but even if he has the 3,000 euro, this does not introduce any tension in that scene because now you think, okay, so the guy blackmailing them, he can be paid off fairly easily. What's the big problem? Yeah, and in theory, like the guy that's blackmailing them was there. He left before the murder occurred, but he's withholding evidence from the police on a known crime, which is in and of itself a crime He will be in trouble, for sure. He is going to get in trouble too. Okay, but can we unpack though the uh, Claire is sleeping with her son a bit more? Because she is... In this movie, I th- there's no subtlety. There's like implied subtlety, but there is no subtlety because that like she's supposed to be like the loving, naive mother that doesn't know anything, but she's really like the villain in this, and that she knows what's happened. And there's well, one when Paul tries to have sex with her, she's basically asking like, "Is our son home?" Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Oh no, 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 it's gone." And then they try, and then he comes home, and then they're all... Yeah, yeah. stop. Yeah. So that was already hint kind of one. There, God, there were other hints along the way. She comes out and meets them when they're talking outside the restaurant, when they're exchanging telephones, where just the way she hugs him and mm-hmm. is like embracing him, you know that something's... That she is evil. Like, she is evil. Well, at least the clue they're giving you is that she is... Totally fine with her son acting like this. She She's trying to blame the homeless woman yeah. for like, oh, well, it's her fault it's for her being fault. there. Yeah. If you just want to get some cash out of the ATM and there's a woman blocking you, then she's the one. Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> hats off to Menno Myers in this scene where she's like really starting to show how evil she is. They're, they're having the dessert course, mm-hmm. which has blackberries. And she is eating these blackberries and it's kind of, it looks like blood in her mouth oh, yeah. and there's blood on her fingertips. I was like, nice. oh, well, that's some very, it's subtle, it's smart imagery of yeah. she is vicious and bloodthirsty or, you know. Yeah. So credit, that was smart. Good job. Ha ha ha. <laughs> and then there's another scene that implies that she's cool with like age difference relationships is when they first get to the restaurant. Yeah, okay, and, so there's uh, another guy sitting there with a way younger woman. Yeah, and yeah. Paul's like, oh, did you get a look at that guy over mm-hmm. there in his little side piece? And she's like, oh, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know? Dumar gewoon, Dumar yeah. normal. Yeah. So she's, in fairness, Vitega and I went to the Kass, the one and only time, another fancy restaurant in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. which was terrible. Um <laughs> I haven't been, so I. I was really looking forward to it. It was a Christmas present. I really want to be really good. It's beautiful. It's in uh, Frankendal Park. It's really nice. And there was like an older guy, like in his sixties, gray hair, Mm -hmm. with a very young woman, who was sitting right next to him, like you know, Mm -hmm. uh, across from the table. Okay. In this, they're kind of in the movie. They're kind of diac or perpendicular to each other. Yeah, nice work. But in the in the cast, they were right next to each other and we're like okay 
that means something. Okay, so you would assume she was not his daughter. Because that's what happens in the movie. Jacob Derwig goes to the toilet. Paul goes to the toilet. He talks to the guy. And it appears to be his daughter. And um, she wants an autograph from Paul's brother. Because Sarah, she's, Sarah. Yeah, she's in, uh, into political science. And then that, I think that's a nice line Paul says. I always find that a funny term. Political science? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, okay, that is kind of funny. Paul's great. Like, he could be great. And I could totally uh, be on his side. Maybe that's why the movie frustrates you so much because all the pieces are there to make it into an actual great movie that could work because the story is in itself interesting um, and has compelling elements. They just don't find a way to present it on screen. There, There is a good story in here somewhere, but it, yeah, it is not on that screen. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's on the page. It is on the page as far as I can remember. And... Um, even in theory, you would think that this movie would be easy to make even at a relatively low budget because all you need is people sitting at a diner table and let the acting do the do the job, right? You don't even need very special cinematography. Um, and they are good nice, actors. Like yeah. 12 Angry Men, you know, one of the most famous movies of just one room yeah. and good acting. And they don't show the crimes that are committed they discuss the crimes that are committed yeah. and it's beautiful it's tense carnage for example what's, what's two, that two, two couples having uh having dinner i can't remember the director but you haven't seen this movie no i highly recommend it um it's about two partial couples in uh it is very similar to a dinner maybe it was it was inspired by a dinner uh two partial couple i think in, it's in new york and their kids they had a fight and they come together. It's a Christopher Waltz is one of the parents. They come together to to talk about it, and they also have conflicting morals about a child using violence and if it should be punished or not. This movie in that movie it works. This movie was giving me uh, Danish Dogma ninety three whatever vibes mm-hmm. with Lars von Trier, and I think in this case more Thomas Winterberg whose film Festen, 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 which is, again, it's a family coming together for dinner and a bunch of dark stuff. That's starts. a perfect movie. It is a beautiful, Ooh. it's uncomfortable, you feel everything, yeah. and you feel, you don't feel rewarded at the end, but you feel something. Yeah, yeah. The, it's the, a shocker always when you watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck this movie, everyone, I'm really sorry, but... <laughs> It's and it it's I look at the people and they just play like I maybe let's just get the monkey out of the sleeve now. There's a lot I don't like about Amsterdam. I think that the Amsterdam elite is oh, boring. Like And you think this is a reflection of that? It's like they're creating they're trying to create drama. Or like make it seem like their lives are interesting when really they live in. Okay, but to be fair, in the book, that's the whole point. That they're making a mountain out of a mole. Well, not out of a mole. They murdered a woman. I mean. Yeah. I mean, this is, there are real stakes. Yeah. There There could be real stakes here. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I don't think you're supposed to like any of the main four characters, right? 
But I don't like the son either. He's also no. He in the movie, especially for being a murdering teenager, he he's a, a very he, flat character. He's a flat character. I don't know who the, the actor's name. There's one the, scene where I almost empathize with him when it's a flashback to the school where uh, Paul is meet. It's like a parent-teacher conference. Yep. And the teacher is saying, like, oh, your son has issues or... Blood. He's written a paper in which he proposes to throw um, people down the eighth story of a building if they misbehave. So the yeah. son's got issues. Mm-hmm. And there's a nice scene, I must say, where it's a close-up on the son and it's got, like, the light's coming in the window very nicely. And then you can hear the conversation happening between Paul and yeah. the teacher. And you can see the struggle in the son's face. I think that that's good. And then every time you meet him again, I want to punch him in the face because he seems like such a privileged brat. He doesn't really seem to care about what happened to him and how he should live his life going forward. Or you don't see him in a breakdown. You see him basically not caring. Well, right? I mean, this is the problem. Like, the parents think, the mom probably thinks that the son is perfect. No. The dad's too afraid to admit that he's a bad dad. So they're not putting the son in therapy, like, no. or talking to him about it, or really trying to walk him through these struggles that he's probably encountering as a teenager. Yeah, so what the movie fails to do is to choose either one of those sides. Either they're like a devilish family from hell, and they don't think murdering homeless people is a bad thing. That could be a storyline. Probably not very realistic, but you could make a movie out of this. Or they're terrified about what their son has done and they want to correct that or they want him to learn from it or they want to help him at least and understand why has he gotten to a place where he murders a woman. What, what's wrong with him? Let's let's unpack that and let's see how we brought him up, what has led to that point. They don't neither of those. They mix up those two perspectives. And I, I get people could say like, oh, but that conflict is you know the soul of the movie of you know a, the a parent's duty to their child and their duty to society you know to not kill people mm-hmm. but that is a boring ass no. argument to make no. because hey you, kids don't murder people <laughs> especially if they're homeless women and babette the mom oh so we've talked a lot about paul and claire because we spend the most time with them yeah but let's so serge and babette again mm-hmm. i think Babette plays an unlikable woman yeah. very well. And I think Serge plays a kind of slimy, not slimy politician, but like hyper-idealistic, like it's a bit annoying. Yeah. yeah. he's And I think he plays it very well too. And I think there's some joke there that he's presenting the new left uh, and he's obviously a very posh person. So that would tap into what people call a salon socialist. So someone who pretends to be a socialist but is really having is fine dining at the best restaurants in, in, in Amsterdam. I think that's that at least where Herman Koch in the book tries to position him at. Right. And they there's the reference that they go to Burkina Faso to adopt a son and then yeah. they kind of use him. He makes a reference as a as a Birkin bag. Like this son is now a trophy that they can use to show that they're so progressive because they adopted a black yeah. boy. Did you catch who played uh the character when he's grown up? No. It's André Dommermans. Okay, who's that? Um, great Dutch actor. He also played with uh, Rundfunk. What's, you know what? Let's take a break. 
Okay. Maybe I can compose myself. You can get whatever's in your throat out of your throat. <laughs> it's probably your soul escaping because soul. this movie was so fucking draining. It's last night's dinner. Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll be back. This is the Dutch Film Podcast. We're talking Het Diner 2013 Metal Myers film. See you in a second. Yep. It's the Dutch Film Podcast. I'm Greg. I'm Eric. I'm not Dutch. <laughs> I am, I think. And if this was the kind of movie that was made in my country all the time, I'd be ashamed to be Dutch. <laughs> but thankfully, it's not. We're talking about Hetine. We're back from the break. Mm. You heard the ad. And before we go a little bit further, I want to clear something up. It's okay if there's an age gap in a relationship. I'm not here to, you know, say that that's bad. Just so long as that if there is a power imbalance, that that is understood and respected. And that, you know, especially an older man is not leveraging his power to attract a young female or a young man. I just want to get that out there. Okay. 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 If you want to do disclaimers, we can do a lot of disclaimers. I just feel like I, okay. I, I owe a service, but that does not mean that I'm Claire from this movie because she uh-huh. is a sociopath. Yeah. What do you got for me? Well, yeah. Okay. So we've been jumping back and forth, talking about the plot or the lack of a clear plot, um, trying to see what we we made from it, what we what we got from it. Um, I think maybe it's it's nice to focus on some other aspects like the cinematography what did you think terrible Terrible. inconsistent there were some wide shots i know you like wide shots you've complained uh watching character our first episode oh there were several bullshit scenes Uh that they take they're like they take the ferry to the restaurant Uh first of all they're on the ferry it's bright daylight then they're literally riding their bikes maybe 400 meters and it's nighttime, and there's a tracking shot, like profile, of them cycling, and there's some stupid song playing, and it's supposed to feel like we're following to dinner, and there's like tension or excitement yeah, building. Yeah, yeah. They did not good, did a good job at that point. Yeah, about, I, it must I be hard to film riding a bike. Okay, so bikes in general, the most Dutch thing ever. Well, yeah, I am very happy that there was a cycling, cycling in this movie. A like, lot of cycling, I right? Was, I was happy to see it. Did you catch the line that Paul has, Jacob Derrick? Where he's waiting for his son and uh-huh. he's like, oh, the kind of... Jingling. In a voiceover, he says? Yeah, he's saying something along the lines like the sound of a rickety bike you can only hear in the Netherlands or something. Ik hoorde het geratel van een fiets, het geluid dat je alleen in Nederland kan horen. Yeah, the rattle of the bike. Yeah. Which, I, 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 should, nice. I should say, I do not cycle. I have not cycled for over two years. Because it's stressful in Amsterdam and it's not fun. <laughs> but I remember my first bike, Centaur Noir, I named it. Wow. You and named your bike? I named my bike, wow. yeah. That's and not a typical Dutch thing to do, I should add. 
I think I had uh, Centaur Noir and then uh, Bob and then uh, Ocean Greyhound. Those were my three bikes. I like the last name. And um, at a certain point, I got Centaur Noir repaired because it was a shitty bike that I got at Vatu Applied for 50 euro. It was a great bike. Though. So what, what would a normal, got, a normal price of a bike be in the Netherlands? Just for a used bike? Yeah, whatever. 100 at this point probably somewhere between 100 and 150 and you can also get bikes in abundance for like five to ten euros on the street yeah from uh someone that has stolen it and is yeah. reselling it yeah mm -hmm. um but sorry the point is once i got my bike fixed it used to be like everything was rattling around and then i got my bike fixed and it was silent and i actually felt less safe with a quiet bike because What's nice in Amsterdam, the bikes sometimes are really in rough shape, but you can hear the bike. So if you're walking or something, even with headphones on, you can hear the bike coming before you get a bell. So you just have an idea of your surroundings. Mm -hmm. So that idea of the rattling bike yeah. in the Netherlands is... It's nice. True. Yeah. And it's a typical Dutch word, right? Could it sound more Dutch? Geratel. <laughs> What do you call a rattlesnake? Uh, um, uh, I'm not even sure. You might not even have a word for it. No, you don't have rattlesnakes here. Yeah, that will be. But and, and then, don't. but then the irony is that his son shows up on a fixie. Yeah, <laughs> so he would never hear rattling. Yeah, what, wow. what rattling yeah. are you hearing? Great catch. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so a rattlesnake is a rattelslang. Okay, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Okay, should have known that. Yeah. What else you got? What else I got? Okay, okay. So that's the biking. I wanted to touch on the biking. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, cinematography. You asked about cinematography, yeah, yeah. and then we talked about bikes. Cinematography. Okay, the cycling scene. Yeah. That little shot, terrible. Mm -hmm. That's the, the shot I was hoping you would get to. Yeah, thank God. Um, there are a few, like, again, it's just like Menno Myers can't make up his mind about what no. he wants this movie to be, and he can't make up his mind of how he wants to shoot it. So what I can't remember is in the book, the restaurant where it's set in, what I think is a weird choice in the movies, that it's a, it would work, I think, for the tension in the movie if you would feel like they're trapped in this restaurant. So they're in a public space. I think this is very interesting, right? He is a politician. He is... Uh, in the media, they're in a public space talking about something super private. Why, did it, why didn't they meet at home? It's ridiculous, right? They're discussing the murder of a woman by their two sons, and they're discussing it in a public place. Very weird. And not only in a public place, if you would want this for the story to work, you would want it to feel claustrophobic, I guess. Them being in a little restaurant, trying not to be overheard. It's none of that. It's a very spacious restaurant at like... What, what would it be? Like the 10th story of a building overlooking the city. So it it feels very like spacious, as I said. It doesn't man, match the tension they're trying to build. No, it doesn't at all. And the the setting of the restaurant is not... Maybe it's tense. I get. I guess the idea, you know, like when you go to a fancy restaurant, maybe you feel uncomfortable because no. you don't know how to operate. Which is not There's true. Some of that. Which is not true because Rene Recepi is very open about how he wants Noma to feel not stuffy at all. And another important question in the restaurant do they follow all the rules? No, they're picky eaters. They send stuff back. They're... No, no, no. I mean the restaurant itself. 
What restaurant? The restaurant where they're eating at. What rules? What rules? And what sort of wine glass are they being poured a Chablis? Yeah, it, they're drinking wine, <laughs> white wine out of a burgundy okay. glass. Thank I'm you. pretty sure. I don't, I'm not a wine connoisseur. <laughs> I like my wine from a coffee mug because I like to hold on to the You're handle. You're American. You're American. I like to hold on to yeah. the handle because a wine glass scares me that I'm going to knock it over. Great. I got these big old bare hands. I'm going to break the stem. Okay. Barbarian. I know. Okay. But okay. Cin- cinematography, no, no, no. Let's, because I will give them the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. There are some good shots. Um, when they're in the parking garage, like there is a little bit of a tracking shot where he'll work, he works in circles around uh, Paul and Serge. Like that's a classic kind of shot to show kind of conflict or tension and then he just kind of gives up on it yeah like it's 2013 you can do that all in one take and it could have been so tense you could have followed claire you know he very you know Chekhov's gun he shows that she takes her port glass yeah and she and then all of a sudden now we're in the parking garage sergey has a big cut on his face that like, scene is so weird how did all it makes now? no sense yeah. like and I even had subtitles on this. If yeah. I didn't have subtitles, this movie, I would have been lost. No, even being a Dutch speaker, I lost track of what was happening there. No. But it, and I think I like European parking garages. I think European parking garages are unique because parking garages do not look like that in America. Mm. And it could have just been such a tense scene and dramatic. And I think really he could have done it in one in one go. No, no. And... Maybe handheld even to have the feeling you're walking with them. You're, the whole yeah. restaurant could have even been done in yeah. like a few long takes. Yeah. And it would have been great. You can yeah. fee- and then you can feel that, okay, then the movie would be extremely long. But the, all the, the cutting and it just... Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's the montage more than anything, the editing. The editing is very... Oh, God. And then he has these cuts like... When the son realizes, when you realize that he's taken the son's phone and then it cuts all of a sudden into some like slow motion type thing with the son yelling, cut, and like <laughs> running up the stairs, but what it's super blurry, like fuck. Cut means like fuck. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and, but why on earth does he need to cut to that? And why is it blurry? And why? Oh. Yeah, they messed up. This is a big miss. Big miss. If I was Herman Koch, I would be so upset. He's probably just counting his money, right? Yeah, sure, he's counting his money, but this is... No, he uh, he, he strikes me as a person who actually cares about this stuff. and I can't imagine him being overly happy about this movie. I can't believe he sold the rights, even. Yeah. Maybe it was was already the publishers were like, hey, we're already going to... We're gonna go. You ahead have and, to. Yeah. You have to option this. And, for I mean, a movie. as we've mentioned, if you just look at the people involved in the movie, he had all the reason to believe the movie was gonna become a good movie. Yes, that is true. That is true. If he believes in his own story, he believes in the actors, which I suppose he does. Director, whatever. You would think this movie would have worked. What else do you got? Okay, Eric's, so, Eric's here trying to milk some positivity uh-huh, out of me. Uh huh. That's a lighter note. I, I, I tried to get you to a lighter note with the bikes and the white shots, but even that was terrible. <laughs> okay, so maybe I, we should go to to a regular segment. Close suck. Oh, 
yeah, here we are at the. So, are we done talking about the movie? Um, I have two more things. Could, that, 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 more segmenty. You have segment. Okay. Yeah. So now we are at the close Dutch swear. <laughs> Dutch bad words. Dutch bad words. <laughs> okay, I have only one. You would. You might expect more to come out of this movie, but. Flodder, the movie we watched in the last episode, had way more good options. But I have one. Zakkenwassers. Ooh. Okay, this is one I know. And literally translated, it means like pocket washers. Yeah, very good. But I think in a derogatory sense, does it mean like a bum? Nah. Or a derelict? No, it's, it's more, you, you would use it as a term to... Call out someone who's trying to um, who's trying to sell you something and it's not as good as advertised. So you would use it in a context like that. Yeah, like a snake oil salesman or something. Some, yeah, uh, doesn't oplichter, oplichter type of vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Such a, and who, what what context do they use that in? Uh, Does he Paul call the restaurant it, so yeah, Zach and Wasser? I think it was at the start of the movie. I can't even remember, but yeah, it was in a context like that. It was definitely Jacob Derwick's character. Complaining as he does in the whole. Oh, movie. is it when like the the server comes over and he's like, the uh, this wine is on the house I or like the aperitif like on that. the house. He's like, well, if it's on the house, isn't it free? And yeah. <laughs> that that makes no sense too. Okay, so the chef and the owner obviously know the politician guy. Yeah. So, so that's a weird thing. It would make no, sense no. that the aperitif maybe was even on the house. It's like, no. hey, you know, this is for you. Oh, no, but it's even worse. At one point... They bring him a free thing. Yeah, but only the politician guy. Yeah, oh, it's only from the Dan chef. Yeah. yeah. That would never happen, right? I mean, imagine a chef trying to impress his customers by only giving one of them something. I can count on three fingers the amount of times I've gotten stuff complimentary in a restaurant in this country okay because like <laughs> they forgot it or <laughs> they forgot it or That's they so were complimentary or, or like the the server the bartender r.i.p his name was jan i forget his last name but he was the owner of cafe de vetering you know cafe de vetering yeah, yeah yeah great spot i'm sure it won't be the same with him gone but maybe my first or second week i was out at coco's Another great spot at Rembrandt Pline. It's like a Australian tourist bar. But I had been to Cafe de Vetering before. The first night I came here, I arrived. My buddy Owen and I, we walked, we saw it. We were like, oh, that looks great. We okay. went in, had a beer. On my way back from Rembrandt Pline, Coco's stopped in. Last call, it was just me and Jan sitting at the bar. We're chatting. He spent a lot of time in California, so he was happy to talk to an American, give me some wisdom. And he gave me a free shot of farmer's grouse, mm. the whiskey. Yeah. And I was like, I have made it. <laughs> I am in. But that was not your typical Dutch experience. No, it was like nine years later. I got my second complimentary drink. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You should try to be a regular at spots. Maybe okay. it's better. So was that it for the, I have no, I have the bad thing. words? Uh, for the bad words it is. I have something related to bad words though. Okay, well, let's say that was Glowsuck Dutch bad words. <laughs> okay, nice. We yeah, we need to end this little segment, of course. Okay, the next thing, which probably makes this a very atypical Dutch movie, I didn't spot it. You watched it 
twice, was there any nudity? No. There's one sex scene. Yeah. They keep on there. But they keep their clothes on. Clothes, yeah. And you see it. I think actually that movie, that scene is filmed quite nicely. You see, you only see her face. Oh, you see the disgust in her face that yeah. she'd rather be getting fucked by her son than her husband. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fairly well done. Yeah. And I think she plays disgust like expression-wise on her face quite nicely. Ah. So, oh. but yeah. So the only nudity you get is maybe the son at the end of the movie taking off a shirt. But that's just an 18-year-old boy shirtless. That's not nudity. No. No, but it's doing it for her. It's do maybe that's the point. That's the point. Can we talk about the ending? Oh, so okay, of course. Okay, so are these our segments now? So we got we got Dutch, <laughs> no, we got, not, we got Dutch God words. We got no. like ding dong um, dangle or something. <laughs> ding dong, it's um, Ding dong. Yeah. So <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna try. Uh, we have a nudity section. What? Well, let's say <laughs> a curse a, word a, section and. Well, we're basically a bunch of 12-year-olds watching a movie. We should only watch Flutter like, on repeat. Yeah. I mean, we could do a whole podcast just about Flutter in the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the ending because it's so ambiguous. He, They go home after the dinner. The mom had obviously been like assisting and aiding and abetting the son. She makes like a fake phone call from the restaurant yeah. and you got this great scene where... She sets him up with a motive motive and then paul is seeing all this he goes into the bedroom locks the door locks the door lays in bed looks at his phone until it dies because the son earlier had said your phone's almost dead on the phone his like home screen is a photo of the three of them and he just looks at the phone yeah until it dies yeah movie over yeah what what are we supposed to take from that what the fuck the family is over um, and well, the family clearly, was clearly whole they're life. trying to show that, that this family, this perfect family that he had on his phone, of course, every time you take a picture and you put it on the background of your phone, you're presenting yourself as something that's not a complete accurate depiction of who you are, but I, still. I, my background is just like a stock. A stock iPhone, has changed more. Stock iPhone. <laughs> really? I should say, though, for a while, it was you and Jarrett. Yeah, but not because we were on it. No, because I wanted to look at my two buddies yeah, uh, really? every time I looked yeah. at my phone. Yeah. Okay, I don't believe it. We'll, we'll get to this later. Yeah. Okay, so that's <laughs> the ending. It sucks. Yeah, so what do you imagine happens the next day? Does the kid go to jail? Ever? Or both the kids? Yeah, that kid's going to jail, for sure. I mean, whatever jail in the Netherlands, like, it's a, it's a whole different conversation about the standing of prisons in the Netherlands, but... Yeah, their futures, yeah, they go to jail for manslaughter or even second-degree murder for, I don't know, maybe 10 years. Then they get out and they go, go back they, to they go place. work at Abe and Amro or something yeah, and yeah. Yeah, do Sell a bunch of cocaine. Sell the house for $2 million. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so a typical Dutch movie after all. Super t- <laughs> typical Amsterdam movie. Yeah. But I got I got to take. This movie left me as empty as a fancy meal at a fancy Amsterdam restaurant where you got to get a you got to get a kebab on your way home because <laughs> somehow you drank three bottles of wine but only ingested about a thousand calories worth of substantial food bam it's bad it's bad 
Ladies and gentlemen. I wish it was better. This was Hedy Nay. Wait, no. What about Greg Knows Dutch? Does Greg know Dutch? That, that, that was the Sakawasser. I thought that was uh, swear words. Oh, you're right. This, I mean, oh. this, this was extremely hard to follow. I'm so glad I had subtitles. This movie... I'm thinking if I have something from my memory. The Let's... only thing I can think about is, did you catch the joke he made about um, a dish being afgemaakt? Yes, that was a... I caught it better the second time because I knew that death played a better scene, but afgemaakt basically means ended, killed. Killed? And yeah, specifically. the olives are afgemaakt with yeah. rosemary. Yeah, with a yeah, finished <laughs> with some rosemary. Oh, yeah. some and he says, rosemary. oh, that's weird. Has the rosemary been killed? I thought it was the olives been killed. Oh, the olives, of course. Yeah, the rosemary are the Do you the know killers. Dutch? Yeah, I don't actually. Oh, man. Okay, let's go. It's been, this movie is Hetene. Would you recommend it for someone who wanted to learn more about the Netherlands? Uh, no, I would get a translation of the original book by Herman Koch. That sounds good. I'm curious about the book. I got no time. I got to watch all these goddamn movies. <laughs> you watch them twice to see if they're really <laughs> as terrible as you think. Um, I would recommend this movie for someone to watch because it's good. I, I feel like it's important to see the bad of cinema. Okay. I think that this movie... To appreciate it when it's good? I think this movie, ironically, or not ironically, but um, maybe even intently, I don't know. I don't know these words. But the type of people that would go see this movie and then say, oh, wow, what an insightful movie. Mm -hmm. I totally relate as a 40-year-old white upper-middle-class Amsterdam family like that is the i'm sure the book is kind of pointing towards these people being the problem that you know vote vvd or no, maybe or maybe like they vote so. no, like no, the, no. they voted it's days. not a political book no, no but like this idea that you're some pseudo it's, it's, you're pseudo liberal but you still vote days since they say what they're doing is i think at least um pointing at how hypocritical these people are, right? They yeah. think they have all their morals, but when push comes to shove and their child does something that's just terrible, horrifically wrong by all counts, they suddenly don't care that much anymore. I mean, what is Mr. Rutte, you know, kind of most famous for? is what they call him like Slick Rick or something, or like Teflon Mark, or <laughs> what is the expression? Is like the dude... Slick Rick, I've never heard anyone the, call Mark Rutte Slick Rick. He wishes. He needs an eye patch and a fucking basically gold rope. The, the prime minister, premier, minister, premier yeah. whatever his name is, title is, he, yeah. very often he will fail to remember or yeah. fail to take responsibility for something that his government has done wrong. Yeah, and then he says, I have no active memory of this. Yeah, and he'll get defensive sometimes, like the characters do in the movie, or he plays it dumb and cool. Yeah, but yeah. this is definitely not meant to be a critique of Rutte or the VVD. Or no, the I, don't, I don't think it's meant to, but I think you could look at it through the, upper middle lens. class. Okay. But I think there are more interesting movies doing that. I can't think of one on the top of my head, but if you want to know something about Dutch politics, 
there are obviously better ways to get to know. No, I don't. I don't mean Dutch dynamics of Dutch politics, but I just mean perception of people and how they think that they fit into society. But yeah. when challenged, the cracks start to show. Yeah, and you see that okay, fair enough. You are not as liberal as you think you are. Yeah, yeah. And the story does tell that. Story. Does oh, do no. that. No. It's Hetine. Menno Myers, God bless you. Don't make another movie. Shout out to you. Yeah. And, but again, great cast. Yeah. Great acting. Definitely. Uh, Jakob, Dervich, great wonderful. Actor. We'll definitely see him and I guess some of the others in other movies we'll watch for this podcast. I look forward to seeing their work. Um, don't watch this movie, it's streaming on Video Land. Don't stream it on video. Don't land. stream it on video land. No, I'm I'm going to cancel my 14 day free subscription. I'm not even going to finish it out. No, we we will want video land as a sponsor. Shut up. Yeah, no, uh, video land sponsor us. We will tell people to watch the Dutch movies on your thing. You should probably get more. Should we end this? <laughs> should we end? We're so, I'm sorry, everyone. This was a really tough movie. I hope you watch it just so you can maybe see our perspective here. It's 80 minutes. You can basically watch Head DNA during breakfast, as I did. You can watch it during breakfast. This has been the Dutch Film Podcast. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.